Let us pray. Gracious God, give us the strength to be truly in this world that you made, but not of this world, rather to be of your kingdom. Amen. Well, we've been remembering veterans this past week, appropriately, especially those from World War I, on the 100th anniversary of the, quote, war to end all wars. If only it were true. And yet, sometimes, even in the most horrific circumstances like that war, there, there is an outrageously beautiful reminder of something that is nothing short of divine. Early in World War I, as I think most of you know, in 1914, there was a famous Christmas truce. Is everyone familiar with, or have heard something about that? Um, one decided on, not by the generals, but by the soldiers. We're going to just be, have a brief reminder of that now. Now there's a contrast of two completely different worlds for you. Hmm? One based on raw power and aggression, the other on peace and common humanity. Which one do you think is more true about us as human beings? I think most would say, well, that one night, that one day, that was beautiful, but that was an exception. After all, the war resumed the next day. Indeed, it did. Raw power is more true. In fact, the silent night truce is straight from the heart of God and imprinted on our hearts as an original blessing there even before what we call original sin. It is more true, I would suggest to you, than gunning each other down, and this vision will prevail in the fullness of time we are taught and reminded today. Rabshaka was on the side of raw power. Rabshaka was the representative of King Sennacherib, as we learn from Leona, king of the Assyrians, and also in possession of the coolest name in the Bible, Rabshaka. The Assyrian troops had already invaded and overrun most of, of Judah. It might be hard to imagine, but this threat to Jerusalem was even more fearsome than the invading caravan approaching us from Mexico. Hard to know, though, since there's been no mention of it since, what, November 6th? So Rab Shaka stands before the gates of Jerusalem and addresses the messengers of King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem, lining the tops of the wall. Thus says the king, don't be deceived by your own King Hezekiah or by your Lord, the God that you worship. They cannot save you from King Sennacherib. 
So surrender to us and you will still have a good life, whether it's here or in the country that you are exiled to. Oops, might have lost him on that last clause. Yep, that pretty much sums up world history, doesn't it? Whoever has the biggest armies and the best weapons pretty much get what they want and the losers become slaves or servants of the invaders one way or another. And so it goes in our world, the win-lose scenario. But in our text, the prophet Isaiah has a word for his frightened people. Prophets are noted for speaking on behalf of God. They're so spiritually in tune with the divine that they speak on behalf of God. To summarize, thus says the Lord, and this is a summary, don't be afraid of Rabshakeh and King Sennacherib. I'll take care of them, says God. And sure enough, Assyria did not invade Jerusalem in 701 B.C., but retreated, although the exact reason historically for this is unclear. Okay, fine, so it worked out, worked out okay this time. But eventually, in 587 B.C., Jerusalem was indeed overrun, and Judah was exiled for two whole generations. So, God chose to save his people in 701, but not in 587. Why not? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, tell us why. Frankly, because God has much bigger plans than just rescuing his people or any people from this or that invading force. You see, for God, it is not ever a win-lose scenario. Not an us-versus-them sort of thing, not by a long shot. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says to us that all the nations shall stream to the Lord's house in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, so that he may, God may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. He shall judge between the nations, be a mediator for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Imagine the global community using its resources for the purpose of building up life, not taking it. Certainly this is the founding principle of something like the United Nations and other organizations. However, when we hear a verse like swords into plowshares, what, what, what do you think about that? What's your first reaction? I, I fear we automatically think, well, that this is just heaven being described or just never, never land, as in we're never, never going to to experience that, someplace out of time in another reality, perhaps. So it doesn't really apply to us then, does it? We humans are so broken, we take certain things for granted. We weaponize creation, science, and technology, and then think it is a normal state of affairs. And of course, in many ways, it is. And yet Isaiah's prophecy begins with these words. In the days to come, 
Not at the end of all days or in the days of the next life, but in the days to come, it says in this prophecy. And in this world, a specific geographical place is mentioned, at Mount Zion in Jerusalem. That means that what is described here is intended to be within history. So, says the Lord. It's an indication, as Martin Luther King once said, that, and I I quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That means God has plans for where we are headed. Envisioned here is a society where resources are applied to the task of sustaining a nurturing life, not destroying it. These words from Isaiah about God are a calling. They're a calling to us, a calling to be a part of this realm that God creates, that shows up in our world as a beacon of hope, like Christmas 1914, or Martin Luther King's peace marches, or perhaps the world coming together to help rebuild Germany and Japan after World War II, rather than just utterly destroying them. There are, in fact, countless signs on our planet of people like you and me being called to the peaceable kingdom and responding to that. We need to tell those stories. Indeed, it says in our text, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, neither shall they learn war anymore. Well, who's they? do you think? People like you and me and Rob Shaka? People like those soldiers in 1914? On that day, something dawned on those soldiers. <laughs> to put it bluntly, you know, hey, wouldn't it be better today, instead of shooting at each other, that uh, we sing Christmas carols, drink wine, and play soccer? Sounds like a good trade-off. On that day, a bigger truth settled into their hearts, bearing witness to our shared humanity, the power of hope, and a God who entered human history to bring peace to our unrest. This means, of course, that you, yes, you, are the light of the world. Our gospel lesson says so. Yes, of course, But the prophecy from Isaiah still doesn't sound like real human history or a possibility. In human history, there is conflict between nations. There always has been and there always will be, right? Notice in this prophecy, this prophecy doesn't let us off the hook, does it? It keeps coming back to, don't write it off, take it seriously, Notice that this prophecy acknowledges that there are conflicts, that God judges between nations and mediates between the peoples. There is conflict, even in this vision. The difference is the conflicts are not settled by destroying each other. The swords are beaten into plowshares, the spears into pruning hooks. This calls for a response from us. We are called to participate in this kingdom that Isaiah describes, more than just offering our, and I quote, thoughts and prayers, as wonderful as they are, 
Hmm, there's been a lot of top, uh, talk on that topic of late, huh? We live in a violent country that is paralyzed to act meaningfully, we've learned, but quite proficient at using prayer as a cop-out for doing nothing. Or the phrase, I'll remember you in my prayers. Pope Francis tells us how prayer works. Listen carefully, this is good. You pray for the hungry, then you feed them. That's how prayer works. You get it? Did you see what he did? Whether it's hunger, war, discrimination, or gun violence, when we pray about it, we not only ask God to help us heal and reorder the world, which we most definitely do, we also commit ourselves to work side by side with God as a partner to that very end. They go together like this, hand in glove. We pray for victims of gun violence because we have a relationship with the God who is the source of life, justice, and healing. Then we beat our swords into plowshares. That's how prayer works. Now, we'll all have different opinions about what that metaphor, swords into plowshares, guns into whatever, <laughs> means. I understand that all kinds of opinions about this. Look, we do live in a fallen world. Who's kidding whom? Isaiah knew this, I know it, you know it as well. Where there probably have to be guns and armies. But it's hugely important for us to know where God is headed and how we're a part of it. For us, how do we take Isaiah's prophecy as a lure to the future and a calling to live differently in the present to bear witness to and to transform a culture of death into a culture of life. How do we appropriate our resources and imaginations to disarm ourselves, literally perhaps, and also figuratively disarm situations, attitudes? How can we find appropriate boundaries and limits to rein in this culture of death? This brings us to a very important part of Isaiah's proclamation from God. It says that all nations and all peoples will seek out God in Jerusalem and at Mount Zion. They will come to learn and to work out differences peaceably. Clearly, this vision calls for unity and nations working together. And to put it bluntly, that rules out nationalism and any nation putting itself above all others. Two things that we hear quite a bit about these days that are championed. But ideas that frankly are in direct contradiction to the scriptures, to the word of God. And it also falls on us as Christians to never back down from challenging our leaders, whether they're Republican, Democrat, or whatever, on such things, our partisanship here is to God's word and nothing and no one else. As we prepare to celebrate Thanksgiving, despite all this frank talk about the state of the world, let us have thankful hearts that God came into this world in Jesus to transform our broken cultures 
into cultures of life. And let us give thanks, as Martin Luther King reminds us, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. God has seen to it that that is so, and that is God's promise. Let us give thanks that we get to be a part of working for that transformation and working for something that really, really matters and something that will prevail in the end. Amen.